When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with me on Veterans Day. We'll be doing some Veterans Day programming a little bit later on, but um, I did want to start off the program by just saying a very special thank you to all those of you who have served the country over the years so the rest of us can enjoy our freedoms. A lot of ground to cover. It's very an eclectic show today. A little bit about the elections, but a lot of other stuff as well. Starting with, how are they going to stay in business? It's, here's, here's the story from today. Now, um, a lot of times, if we pull back the curtain on the radio show, people will say, well, where do you get the story ideas that you talk about? And, and there's a whole variety of sources. I mean, some of the stuff are, are tips or suggestions that you send me. Other things are just things that I, I notice or stuff that happens to me in everyday life, like this story is. And a lot of times, it, it's just research I, I do. I have a, a set sort of pattern of websites that I look at, and there, there's a, a lot of them um, that I, I for example, um, there, there's several newspaper websites that I go to. There's television websites that I go to. There's a variety of things where I'm looking for, you know, story ideas or, or things of the like. Some of the websites you have to pay for, right? That That's it. And I, I get that. I mean, there's – if you want, for example, a subscription to the local newspaper, you, you can either – you know, pay a lot of money and have it delivered to your place, or you can pay a lot less money and you can have the digital subscription. Well, I have several digital subscriptions to various newspapers uh, across the country because I use them in in my work. So I, I I have the I mean the local newspaper because of course you want to be uh, current with local events. I have um, access to to the Madison newspaper. Um, and then a series of other national newspapers that I use, including – I'm just thinking of the ones that I, that I pay for. And, yeah, I pay for them. And TMJ doesn't reimburse me. I, I pay for them. Um, I've got like the – let's see, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and uh, the Chicago Tribune. There might be one more, but those, those are the ones that, that come to my Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Los Angeles Times, um, Chicago Tribune. I think those are the ones that I, that I pay for. And because I, I pay for them, I am always trying to do the, the mental gymnastics in my mind about, okay, how often do I really use this? I mean, do I, do I, do I need this? But I, I'm bad. You know, we're, we're all kind of like that, that you, you, you've got the streaming services, and you say, this is pretty cool. I'm going to sign up for the streaming service, and you give them your credit card, and then you get the monthly bills, and it's only like five ninety five or whatever it is, and you, think, you just don't really think, gee, I'm, I, I know I signed up for the streaming service. Um, am I really using it? It's just kind of inertia. And, and I know that's a, an issue for a lot of us. So one of the websites that I pay for uh, to subscribe to is the Chicago Tribune. And I've just, and this, this is what I'm about to say is nothing about against the Chicago Tribune, but I, I've been thinking in the back of my mind that I don't think that there's, within like the last six months, I'm not sure I could name one story that I used for business purposes that, that came from the Chicago Tribune that, that wasn't somewhere else. So I, I've been thinking in the back of my mind, all right, may, I, maybe I can drop this one. 
But I've been, again, just because it's inertia and stuff, I, I wasn't doing anything till this morning. And I, my wife's uh, my wife's out of town. I'm joining her tomorrow. I'm on vacation next week. But it was funny. She said yesterday, I said, well, if you look at the credit card thing on the internet, you're going to see that I've been, I've been hitting the credit card hard, but this is what I've been, been buying and things like that. And so I was just kind of kidding around. So I, I went to the, our credit card thing and just kind of looked at the charges over the last couple of days. And you really, it is kind of like Hansel and Gretel and the breadcrumbs. You can see where my wife has been, all these different places, you know, buying stuff. Um, but I, I also noticed that I, I got th- this bill from the Chicago Tribune, and it was like 27 bucks. And I, I just, I thought, 27 bucks. Now, I, I, this is bad to even admit to you, but it, the truth is, I, I wasn't sure. I'm thinking, is that a month? Have I been paying $27 a month for this digital access to the Chicago Tribune? And I think I have been. So immediately I said, you know, this, it kind of motivated me to action. I said, look, I've, and again, I have nothing against the content of the Chicago Tribune, but it, it's, it's 27 bucks. I just, I haven't, I have this for work. I haven't been using it for work. Why am I paying for this? So because I know me and I know if I don't do something right away, it's just going to kind of get pushed off to the side. I thought, okay, I'm going to deal with this. So I go to my Chicago Tribune account. I, you know, log in. I see where it says, you got to work a little bit to find this, but it says, okay, this is how you cancel your subscription. I said, okay, I'm just, I'm going to cancel my subscription because I think you get like up to five articles free a month or something like that. And I don't think I've used, I don't think I've gotten anything for the radio show. So I'm, I'm not paying $27, I think a month for this. And this is, it, if it was $27 a quarter, it would still be a waste of money. So I cancel the subscription online. All right. Within Two minutes on my email account, I get the following. This is from the Chicago Tribune. Dear valued subscriber, thank you for contacting the Chicago Tribune. And then it says regarding my account number. We are sorry to hear that you would like to cancel your subscription. As a loyal reader, we do not want to lose you as a subscriber. Would you be willing to share with us the reason for your cancellation? All right. Then they say, we have a very special offer for you. We will change your rate. Charlie, producing the show today and always. Okay, $27 a month is what I was paying. Just take a guess as to what they were going to charge me to continue to be a subscriber for a month. 25 25 No. We have a very special offer for you. We will change your rate to $0.25 cents a week or $6.50 for 26 weeks. We hope that you will reconsider with your continued digital subscription, et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, you know, so we will take you from $27 a month to a dollar a month um, for 26 weeks, which would be half a year if you will stay with us. And, and I remember thinking, all right, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do because I'm thinking, okay, $6.50 for six months. Um, If I go out to dinner tonight, that's going to be the cost of a drink that I have at the place I go to. But, but But I guess the bigger point was, how can they stay in business? How can they stay in business if they are offering, again, six months of their content for $6.50. Now, I'm sure at the end of that six months, 
the, the hope is that I'm going to forget about this and I'm just going to allow it to continue. And then, you know, I go back to the $27 or whatever, but they're offering it for 25 cents a week. Now, I, I don't know if I'm going to accept that or not, that, but that's, that's not the point of it. But I'm sitting here thinking, how can newspapers survive if they're willing, in an effort to keep a customer, to offer to sell something that they were value? And I, I, went, I went to the Chicago Tribune website because I was curious. If you were to subscribe today, the online subscription that I have, I, I think their, their standard rate is like 20 bucks. so I, I must have signed up in, in the past and just not checked it. Bad on me. But – but 20 bucks a week, 20 bucks a month or whatever, they're, they're now down to saying, we'll give it to you for a dollar. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. From the perspective of the newspaper industry, which is going more and more to these dead digital subscriptions, I guess my big question is, I, what is the future of this? How can newspapers survive? as more and more people drop the print editions uh, and they're offering this stuff for 25 cents a week or a dollar a month. I, I mean, I just don't – and look, and I, I appreciate you got to pay people. you got to pay people to go out and report the news. Now, obviously, digital subscriptions, um, it, it involves a lot less work. You don't have to print a newspaper. You don't have to deliver these things. But, but how can you make a go of it? If you're going to be offering people your services for essentially a dollar a month, what is the future of newspapers? And and can they survive with this particular business model? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. We discuss in a moment. I just wonder how the, the old newspaper model is going to work. And, and if you look at all the layoffs that are going on at newspaper companies, you understand it's not working well. I mean, it used to be for newspapers, there were, there were three ways you, you generated revenue. One was classified advertising. Well, classified advertising is pretty much dropped off. I mean, if you just, it, it's just that's pretty much non-existent. That was a huge revenue source. The second revenue sh- source was was advertising. But again, you, you look at you, you look at this, and as fewer and fewer people are reading the, the hard copy of the paper, advertising rates go down, and then you had the subscription base. But the story I was telling, okay, so now this even for the digital subscription, the Chicago Tribune is saying, don't give this up. What we were charging you twenty whatever dollars a month for, we'll now give it to you for a buck a month if you stay with us. And I. I'm just wondering, how does this model continue to work? Jeff, I think the newspapers are primarily getting their money from advertising, so as long as they can keep their number of subscribers up, it's easier for them to sell advertising. Well, that's a factor. There's there's no question about it. But at the same time, you know, monetizing this this digital world, it's – it's it's a struggle. There, there's no question about it because you're never generating as much money as you generated from the old-style political ads. Michael in the north side. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How are you doing today? Good. What do you think? Listen, I've been getting the newspaper for a real long time. Okay? Okay. So I'm on the north side. So here is the other issue I have is that a lot of people don't realize if you get the newspaper, you don't get the ad in your mailbox. So what happens is the ads is also being printed by the newspapers. The Walgreens ads, all of these ads, the uh, syndic ads, you will get them if you get the newspaper. But if you don't get the newspaper, they're in your mailbox. 
So they still have a way to make the money. And and that's what I'm saying. And this is from yeah. old school. See, yeah. that's what I'm saying. So no, I, I understand. And, I mean, right, I understand. Thanks. I mean, but the, I mean, see, the, but the, the problem is, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of dinosaurs. And thanks for the call, Michael. We're, we're dinosaurs when it comes to that because— I mean, the, the number of people who, like, depend on the coupons and stuff, okay, I mean, I don't, what, what I do, for example, and th- that, that whole world, that, that printing the ads, has for many, many people been replaced. So let's say I'm going to go to Office Depot, okay? I know I, I need some paper. Need, need some, I need some, you know, computer. I need some paper to print for the printers. So I'm going to buy a case of that. What I do is I just pull up, you know, Office Depot, uh, on on my on my phone, and it'll show you all the deals that they have, and you've got the coupons that are right there. And I go in and I say, okay, th- th- this is this is how much you're, you're charging for this, and they match it. So I mean, I, I just I, I I understand the way things were, but you look at what's going on now, and you see all these revenue streams that are drying up, and you just wonder, you know, what you, you wonder what this is, is being. One of our texters says he wasn't sure what Michael's talking about. He says, I, get, I don't get the newspaper, and I get all the ads he referenced. He still gets the stuff in the mail. Jeff, with the baby boomers who grew up on newspapers going away and the millennials who do everything online, I think it's just a matter of time that all physical newspapers will be gone. I, I agree. I mean, maybe maybe the USA Today, maybe these national newspapers, but I just don't see how I don't see how there's going to be enough of a customer base to support the traditional. You, you go out to your mailbox in the morning, and, and there's the the hard copy of the paper. Again, maybe for a couple of the national publications, but I just don't see how the economics of this makes sense. And of course, the the bigger challenge then is if if. Even in, if in order to keep a digital subscriber, you've got to essentially give it away. You've got to say, Jeff, don't leave. You know, here, we'll, we'll 25 cents a week for not, not just for a month, 25 cents a week or $6.50, and fifty cents for six months because we, we want you to stay. I mean, how can, how can you pay people? I mean, seriously, I mean, how can you pay a staff? How can you have reporters? How can you have editors? How can you have the, the people that, you know, are responsible for, like, putting together the structure of the paper? How can you do that if you're, you're charging, you know, 25 cents a week for your services? Now, some people say, well, Jeff, what, what about the radio model? Well, the radio model, again, it, it's been different. You know, we rely on, on advertising. That's the way it, it's always been. And, you know, so far, tr- trust me, you know, big year, big year. Um, because again, as long as you've got enough listeners and you've got that, you know, people are going to be willing to to pay and they get the value out of the ads. But you know, in the newspaper industry, I mean, the the paid ads were were only one part of that that three stools that that in order that you know caused them to survive. Plus, you know, printing a newspaper, you you've got a lot more costs than you do running, say, a radio station, where you know your costs are the people behind the scenes who keep you on the air, and you know the people that are on the air like me that you have to pay. But it's not like you have a staff of, of several hundred people, for example, to produce a daily paper. Jeff, SiriusXM did something similar to me. It was free for the first year after buying a car. I then called to cancel. And the twenty one ninety five uh, dropped to eleven ninety five over the phone. I said no thanks, and then they offered it for six ninety five a month. I agreed, and now I have a Sirius XM for six dollars and ninety five cents. Um, yeah. 
Jeff, um, the reason the newspapers can do it is because it's not their main point of revenue. They want to keep you going to their sites for the advertising money. Well, I think that there's an element of that, but the problem is, uh, again, you generate typically through the print ads a lot more money than you're able to generate through the digital advertising as well. But it was just an eye-opening experience to me, and 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 maybe that maybe that's it. Maybe that is the model that you're going to try to essentially give this away in an effort to try to get the clicks and to try to get the eyeballs. I just don't know how that's. I don't know how that you can run have a staff of of reporters and editors. Um, anywhere near the size that they used to have, if if that's the business model that you're able to charge, you know, a, a quarter a, a quarter a week or a dollar a month or something like that, it just doesn't seem to me long term that that is sustainable. So now I'm wrestling with, even though I, I don't I haven't gotten much out of the Chicago Tribune, is it worth is it worth a quarter a week to me? Don't know the answer to that. I'm going to think about that over the next couple of days. <laughs> Veterans Day honors the incredible sacrifices made by our brave men and women who served in the United States military. This week, we recognize all Americans who fought for us and continue to fight for our great country. From WTMJ, we thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Week, presented by Tabak Law's Veteran Benefit Center. And by the way, um, this is Veterans Day. If you are, if you're expecting mail, there is no mail today. The stock market, interestingly, is open. Stock market is open. The bond market is closed. But lots and lots of other places are closed as well um, for Veterans Day, and there is no mail. So if you're expecting mail today, you're going to end up getting it tomorrow. Okay, so here's where the the election stands right now. They they are still counting votes across the country. It looks pretty clear. We're not going to know for sure, but it looks pretty clear like the Republicans will take control of the House of Representatives. Um, You need 218 to control the House of Representatives. looks like the Republicans are going to come in somewhere between – 220 and 224. So, but, but they're going to have, they're going to have control, but just narrowly. So Nancy Pelosi will no longer be the Speaker of the House. The Senate, well, we don't know because right now there are 49 Democrats. They're, they're just, they've just called Arizona. Um, and the Arizona has been counting ballots again since Tuesday as well. But Arizona, the Democrat held. So you've got 49 Democrats. You've got 49 Republicans. And there are two seats that are still undecided. One seat is the seat in Georgia, which is going to go to a runoff. And we explained this yesterday. The the way it works in Georgia is in order to be elected, you need 50 percent of the vote plus one. And neither the Democrat or the Republican candidate, Herschel Walker, got it. Um, There there was a libertarian that siphoned off around 2 percent, and that kept both of the candidates below that that 50 percent. So we're we're going to, you know, we're not going to know for a month, and there's going to be millions and millions and millions of dollars spent, uh, again, in a runoff race in Georgia. The other race that is outstanding is the race in Nevada. And as it stands now, in the Nevada Senate race, the Republican, Adam Laxalt, is leading the incumbent Democrat, Catherine Cortez Masto, by about 9,000 votes, 450,000 to 441,000. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's within a one percentage point. So far, 919, almost 920,000 ballots have been counted, but they're still in the process of counting votes. And depending on who you talk to and depending on where the votes come from, the Democrats seem to think that there's going to be enough outstanding ballots that still need to be counted that might carry um, Masto over the top. The Republicans are saying, no, that the if you look at where the ballots are coming from, that's still that's too big a margin to overcome. I, I, I don't know what the answer is going to be, but this is the point. We don't know. We're not going to know what the answer is is going to be. Which brings me to an editorial in today's Wall Street Journal that I want to use as the launching point for this conversation. Two days after the election, it was still impossible to say which party had won the House and the Senate, and the mystery could last until next week. Alas, as of Thursday afternoon, the ballots were only 83 percent counted in Nevada and 70 percent in Arizona. The figure for one competitive House race in California was 39 percent. The delays are the result of mass mail voting, and they're no good for public confidence. In the Nevada Senate race, Republican Adam Laxalt was ahead by roughly 16,000 votes. That's now down to 9,000. Um, um, this isn't suspicious in its of itself. Democrats vote absentee at higher rates than Republicans, and mail ballots typically take longer to verify and count. President Trump is already spraying vague suspicions. They want more time to cheat, he said Thursday. Absent any hard claims, and he provided none, this is more of his typical reckless rhetoric. Still, states are making a bad policy choice when they let vote counting drag on for days. If the roles were reversed, it's easy to imagine Democrats being suspicious, and anyone who doubts it should recall the crazy left conspiracy theory in 2020 that the U.S. Postal Service was stealing the election. In Arizona, mail ballots must arrive by 7 p.m. on Election Day, which is a good start. But Maricopa County, Phoenix, says voters on Tuesday dropped almost two, dropped off almost 290,000 mail ballots, about 100,000 more than 2020. These ballots legally can't be retrieved until the polls close and all voters have left the vote center. All right, so they can't even start processing them till after the voting is done. The problem is worse in Nevada because the ballot deadline is an election day. As long as a mail vote is postmarked November 8th, it can arrive by Saturday. So if the postmark is on election day, they still have to count them as long as they come in by tomorrow. I mean, how crazy is that? Um, today, we received 626 ballots through the mail. Clark County, that's Las Vegas, registrar said, we have 7,155 ballots that have not been cured. Voters on the bad signature list can call a hotline. The deadline is 5 p.m. Monday. These laws introduce too much slack into the voting system. In the old days, an extraordinarily close election must might be decided after the polls closed by small numbers of provisional or military votes. Yet John Q. Public now gets the same dispensation for tardy ballots once reserved for the armed forces. Worse than the delay is the prospect of litigation. What about mail votes that arrive after Election Day but before the receipt deadline and lack of legible postmark? Judges might be asked to hold voters harmless for the United States Postal Service failure. Yeah, what if, if you've mailed it but the postmark isn't legible? Um, this is it. Florida managed to count 7 million votes within hours on Tuesday, in part because it pre-processes incoming mail ballots and has an Election Day deadline. 
So far, the U.S. has been Las Vegas lucky in avoiding a mail vote debacle, but only a fool keeps spinning the roulette wheel. All right. So I think that this is, again, I think this is a, a fair sort of commentary. Now, I am not in favor of nationalizing elections, and I think states deserve to have their own rules. But having said that, I think a couple things are, are patently obvious, and maybe this is one of the things that we need to change in Wisconsin. And now I'm hearing, given the fact that Republicans have overwhelming control of the legislature and Tony Evers has been elected for another four-year term, I, I'm hearing Robin Voss talk about how, okay, maybe there's things that we can agree on other than just have nothing but gridlock for the next four years. And I would argue election some election reform is something that everybody could agree on. And let's talk about something that I don't think is that controversial. I think, for example, in Nevada, it is crazy, capital C, crazy, that they count ballots that are received after Election Day, that you have until Saturday, essentially, as long as the ballot is put in a mailbox, that they're going to count it till next Saturday. To me, that is absolutely ridiculous. I think at the bottom, the, you know, at its base, you, you have to guarantee that the if you're going to use mail-in voting, that, that's fine, but you have the obligation to make sure that that ballot gets where it is intended to get to um, by the time that the polls close. I think it is ridiculous that you allow this to go on for a couple of days. But also, whether it's in Arizona or in Wisconsin, and we didn't have problems in Wisconsin this year, and that is a credit to the election officials, I think it is absolutely crazy that we do not allow election officials, and I know I've said this before, to begin, like they do in Florida and like they do in many states, to begin pre-processing the votes as they come in, you know, going through the entire process. You get the absentee ballot in, you look at it, you verify, you know, the information on the outside of the ballot, and then you feed it into the machine so you don't have this thing that went on, for example, in Milwaukee over the other night, and, and they got their numbers in by about midnight or whatever. But, you know, people refer to it as the Milwaukee election dump. Well, there's nothing there's nothing surreptitious about this, but it's just that under state law, they can't start processing these absentee ballots until the polls open. So it takes them all day to go through this process. So suddenly it's like, okay, how many outstanding, you know, absentee ballots are there in Milwaukee and what are those numbers going to be? And whenever the numbers come in, they invariably change. In this case, there wasn't enough to uh, throw the election to Mandela Barnes, but it was enough to take what was appeared to be a close election between Michaels and Evers and put Evers way up. But all of a sudden you get this ballot dump. Well, how many ballots are left outstanding in Milwaukee? You know, what's this number going to be? Why do we go through that? Why don't we just allow these things like they do in Florida, allow the ballots to be processed, open them up, verify them, throw them into the machine, the same thing that you're going to be doing on Election Day, but get them processed so we don't have to hope that people are going to get these numbers in by 11 or 11.30 or, in the case of Arizona, three days later. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is a WTMJ talk and text line. Look, I understand that there, there's some areas where people of good faith can't agree. This, this should be an easy one. To my Republican friends in the state legislature and to you know the governor's office, this should be something really, really easy. Follow the Florida model and allow the absentee ballots to be processed as they come in, not tabulated, but processed. 
and set up whatever rules you, you need to set up, election observers there. I mean, I, I'm not saying that you do this behind closed doors, but the same sort of procedures that you implement when you, you know, allow people to monitor the absentee ballots on election day, you know, just just do it. And, and if it's not if it's not every day, maybe how about just every other day so you get to get these things processed so we don't have to be waiting and seeing, gee, what are the absentee voting totals really going to be? 855-616-1620. That's the, absent, that's the um, WTMJ talk and text line. To me, this is one that is so self-evident. And Florida, I'll use that as an example. Florida was a dumpster fire back in 2020. Remember the stories, the hanging chads, and they're looking at this. Florida said, we're not going to go through this anymore. We are not going to be the national laughingstock. And so we're going to take a whole look at the way we conduct elections, and these are the things we're going to do. And one of the things that they did was we are going to allow absentee ballots to be pre-processed. So, you know, we're, we're not held hostage for days while these things are counted. Florida has been able to do it. Florida has been able to make it work. Why shouldn't Wisconsin? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. What do you think? Let me use an analogy to address one of our texts. Remember a number of years ago when we were talking about concealed carry and Wisconsin and Illinois were the only two states in the union that did not allow some form of concealed carry. And you had the people who didn't want concealed carry. They were arguing, oh, it, it's going to be the wild, wild west. It's going to be a bloodbath. And, and my point was, well, no, we're, we're, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Forty-eight states have some form of concealed carry, and they don't have any problems with it. Do we think people in Wisconsin are particularly more bloodthirsty or something like that? And, and of course, the, the answer was no, and concealed carry has, has come, and there, we haven't had the, the problems that people predicted. This is the same thing with these pre-processing absentee ballots. One of our texters says, Jeff, it's not a good idea to copy Florida. Leaks will happen. Lies will be created. People will decide that it's not worth voting. To which my response is, if you would, if I were to ask you to guess how many states allow ballots when they come in, absentee ballots, which are, this is the wave of the future now. It's just people are voting by mail and that's not going to change. So absentee ballots, if I were to ask you of the 50 states, how many of those states allow the clerks to what I'm calling pre-process the ballots. That is, you know, they come in, they verify that they are legitimate absentee ballots, they you know, make sure that they're coming from a, a, an appropriate voter, they open them up and they feed them into the machine. If I were to ask you how many states do that, you know, think, of, think of a number what that would be. Well, I won't take calls on it, but the number is 38. 38 states out of 50 allow clerks to do this because it's necessary to get results in a timely fashion. And so for people who think, oh, it's, it's going to lead to leaks and all this fraud and people are going to be discouraged and stuff, well, it doesn't happen in 38 other states. Do we think that the Wisconsin, you know, uh, various clerks across the, the state, that they're going to violate state law, that they're going to do stuff that none of the other clerks in the other 38 states are doing? No, this is just a common sense thing that get the results done early and uh, allow us to not worry about the, these ballot dumps and, I think, encourage confidence in the election system. And, and what's wrong with that? Anne-Marie in Waukesha. Anne-Marie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I, I can't understand. I, I never knew that uh, Las Vegas and Arizona were like the exception to the rule with having their ballots uh, postmarked on the day of the election. 
Well, so, no, Arizona, the, Arizona, they have to be received by the day of the election. Um, Nevada, mm-hmm. all they have to be postmarked. But in Arizona, right. they said all of a sudden they, they said they suddenly got like like tens of thousands of ballots that showed up on election day. So, but yes, okay. but in, in Arizona, so they're not happen. allowed to process them either. Uh, Arizona, they can't process <laughs> them until the polls open, just like in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Because we have a daughter that lives in Vegas. And I just talked to her the other day, and she was telling me long it was postmarked, and I thought I had never, ever heard that yep. before. I thought everybody had to follow the same guidelines, nope. you know, that it had to be in by nope. that date. No, it, it's, yeah. and it, it, every state has different rules on the election. Um, well, what do you think about the idea, though? I mean, should, should the clerks be able to start processing these ballots when they get them? Yes, I'm yeah. in agreement with that, yes. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. Again, that, that's the, that's... You know, that's my my point here is that there's all these concerns about, oh, this is there's this potential for fraud and people are going to leak these things. And and it it doesn't if it doesn't happen in 38 other states, why do we think Wisconsin is going to be one where where this happens? Now, there's some people that take issue with me where I say I don't think that there should be we, we should nationalize this because, you know, different states do have, I think, some different considerations. I do think, and I stand by, and and here's the concern. What if we're nationalizing elections and all of a sudden they say, okay, well, we're going to count all the ballots as long as they are, we're going to do what Nevada does, which is, like I say, capital C, crazy. You know, we're not going to have an election day as long as the ballots are postmarked by, you know, the November 8th this year, we're going to count them. We're going to give them another week to be received. Can you imagine what sort of chaos that would cause? I mean, that's just, that is just it is an invitation to gridlock, especially when you have these very close elections. Now, it's no big deal if the election isn't going to be close, but there's a lot of states. Wisconsin is one. Georgia is another. Nevada is one, clearly. I mean, Nevada, like I say, it's a 9,000-vote margin out of um, pushing a million votes cast, more than 900,000 votes cast already. And so you, you've got all this, okay, what what's going to be in the mail today? Where did these votes come from? And I do think you want to get stuff right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that we don't want to get things right. We don't want to have an accurate count. I'm just saying that the longer these things go on, the more opportunity there is for people to distrust the system. And the more opportunity there is, arguably, for people to game the system. And I'm not suggesting that there's fraud involved here, but I do think that there needs to be a degree of certainty. And there are simple things that we can do which I think speed up the process and make it easier for the people that are responsible with coming up with the numbers. I mean, that's, I think if you would. All right, you got 72 counties. My guess is if you would talk to, you know, everybody that runs the different county countings in Wisconsin, um, they would tell you to a person that it's dumb that they can't start processing the absentee ballots until election day. They would much rather, they would much rather begin the processing, get a lot of the stuff done, get those things put into the machines, not tabulate the votes, but verify, okay, this is a legitimate one, this is a legitimate one, we've got a problem with this one. They would much rather do that so you don't have this huge crunch on on election day. And in the case of Wisconsin elections, so you have a bunch of people, you know, waiting, okay, how, what's, how many ballots are in the, you know, the in the special area where you have for the absentee ballots? When are these numbers going to come in? How many are there going to be? How how are they going to break? No, just process them like you process everything else. Get it done. 
These are simple things that Republicans and Democrats should be able to agree on to make the process work more smoothly. Florida recognized it had a huge problem 20 years ago. They got together. They solved the problem. Why can't Nevada do it? Why can't Arizona do it? Why can't Wisconsin? I'm not suggesting we had a problem with the elections this year, but we could have had it could. It could. And like the Wall Street Journal says, I mean, why are we gambling and spinning the roulette wheel waiting for that really, really close election where we're we're now waiting and waiting and waiting to see where the results are? You can do this. You can guarantee that there's going to be election security and you can get the results in a timely fashion. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Today, as Mike was talking about, is, of course, Veterans Day. And I always think about some of my very close friends who served in the Vietnam War. My my friend Glenn, who was behind the lines, working with, like, the Hmong resistance and incredible stories. And my, my golfing buddy, Mike, who did two tours of duty in Vietnam. And he was one of the guys that went into the tunnels to try to see if they had booby traps or... Vietnamese soldiers, and then my my friend Joe, who um, enlisted after college, he could have stalled this and gone to law school like he ended up doing, but but he en- enlisted, and he didn't want to go in as an officer. He went in the infantry, and he carried one of those the, those big machine guns and stuff, and saw all sorts of action. But I I, I always I think about all three of my friends and their their service. But um, my, my buddy Joe, he had given me a recommendation of a book. He said you you gotta. He said, I know you like military history, you like history and you like military stuff. You've got to read this book. And, you know, people, people give you references and recommendations all the time. But he said, here, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you my copy of this book because it's one of the best books that I have ever read. And I think that you will enjoy it as well. So I, I took it and I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll get around to it. And I was, I was thinking about this because the, the last time I, I'm, I'm going, I'm on vacation next week. And the last time I was on like a, a vacation where we weren't traveling or something like that, where we weren't like on a cruise. I, I, one of the things I like to do is I like to sit and read, read books and catch up on stuff. And so I, I, the last time I was down in Florida, I, I remember this is where I was one of the books I read. It's a book called Devotion and it's coming out as a major motion picture. It's going to be released November 23rd. So right before Thanksgiving. So I, I started reading this book that my friend Joe had recommended and it's 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 the tale of two very famous aviators, um, one who is white, one who is black. And it, it's a true story. And th- these were naval, avi- one was a Marine and one was a naval engine, but engine, uh, naval ensign. But they were both pilots in the Korean War. And I'm not going to tell you too much about it because I didn't know anything about the, these people when I started reading the book. And I just got, I got, became completely fascinated in it. And then I, I will not tell you how it, how it ends because I don't want to spoil the, the, the surprise for you. But it, it was one of the best books that I have ever read. And so th- this is kind of my Veterans Day recommendation to you. If, if you're looking for a book to read, um, it was a 2017 book. It's called Devotion by a writer's name is Adam Makos, M-A-K-O-S. And again, it's going to be a major motion picture. You've probably seen the ads for it and stuff. It's due to be released on November 23rd. But I I, I cannot recommend, I, I can't, can't speak for the movie because I haven't seen the movie, of course, but I cannot recommend the book enough. It is just, it, it's 
it's really, really good. Um, no, no question about it. It will draw you in. And if you like military history or history, or you just like a, a good story, this is it. So, so check it out. And I was just, I was just looking. I was seeing some of the advertisements for it. I remember that's the book that my buddy Joe had recommended, and he was absolutely right. It was a tremendous, tremendous book. Okay. I, I, I mentioned this yesterday, and I have to admit, I, I understand why this stuff happens, but it continues to be just an incredible frustration to me. And it's one of the things that maybe we need to take a look at, at how we do stuff. And just because we've done stuff one way in the past doesn't mean we should continue to do this in the future. I sent out a tweet about this when the story first broke. You can follow me. It's on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But but here's the deal. You will remember a couple weeks ago, you had this deputy Milwaukee elections clerk who, for whatever reasons, and I'm still kind of skeptical about um, about the way that she, the reason that she says that she did what she did. But remember, this is the deputy election clerk who her point was in an, in a moment, what she wanted to do is she wanted to call attention to how the system could be defrauded. She whistled up. She went to a state website. She ordered three military ballots under non-existent people's names. She had them sent to uh, the state representative out of Menominee Falls, her home, and she's in charge of like the uh, the state the assembly's election review commission. So she had them sent there. Her explanation, this would be the deputy clerk's explanation for causing these ballots to be sent, was she wanted to call attention to legitimate problems with elections and how it, it, easy it is to defraud the system. Now, I, I think there might have been some other stuff going on, but it doesn't matter. She committed a crime. She's now been charged with a felony and various misdemeanors. The mayor of the city of Milwaukee has a news conference, November 3rd, and he says, okay, she's been removed from her position. Her employment in the election commission has been terminated. He said the faith in the election system should not be shaken because officials are being upfront. They're being um, forthcoming. If anybody tries to interfere with elections in Milwaukee, they will be handled appropriately. In this case, this particular person was immediately terminated. In this case, the person's access to the office and to any other pertinent information was immediately revoked. So in other words, she's been fired. Right. Her employment has been terminated. She's access to the office. It's been revoked because what she did was terrible. What she did, by the way, was was, in fact, terrible. Well, there's this other side of the story. It now turns out that, well, I guess in Milwaukee, being fired is not the same thing as being removed from the payroll because due to civil service protections, she wasn't fired. She was demoted. She was put on paid leave, and now she continues to collect her salary until this matter drags through the Civil Service Commission and all these different types of things. But she's still on the payroll, despite her own admissions that she violated pretty much my, my guess is that, you know, as different rules come with regard to elections, this is probably about as big a violation as you possibly can have. And by the way, at least in the opinion of the district attorney's office, it is a crime. And yet, even though she has been fired, removed, denied access, told not to come into work, had her email shut off, she continues to collect a portion of her paycheck. They demoted her from an $87,000 a year job to a... $68,000 a year job, but she will continue to uh, collect her salary until 
ultimately the city gets its act together and they finally end up terminating her. Now, imagine the real world. Uh, imagine the real world. And you did something like this at, at your place of employment. You did something which was an incredible violation of your employer's trust. And on top, so you violated some of the big rules of your office. And it turns out that the same violation also was a crime. And you get charged with this. You violated the rules. Well, what's going to happen in the real world? Your employer is going to whistle you in. They'll probably be the person from Human Resources. They will say, that's it. You're done. Here's your box. You know, put, gather your stuff. Put it in your cardboard box of future endeavors. Give us your card key. Give us your phone. Give us all this stuff. You're done. And by the way, you're done effective today and don't expect any more money from us. And that's that's the only way to handle this. Now, in this is one of these classic examples of where I think, and I understand some people might find this controversial. Look, I get why the city has to do this because they have the city civil service protections. But this is nuts. We have to review what is going on here. She should have been terminated on the spot and access to any revenues, any more income should have been shut off. Now, her remedy should be the same as normal people's remedy, which is if you feel you've been unjustly terminated and they've stopped paying you, well, what do you do? You go to court, you sue your employer, you say, I've been wrongfully discharged, and then you, you sue for back wages. The idea that we continue to pay this woman after she did all this, it is a, it's a stick in the eye to the taxpayers. It's an insult to the integrity of the system. And I think it, it makes, you know, average people look at public employees and go, what, what is going on here that we would have these sort of protections? Look, if she's wrongfully terminated, she has every right to bring a lawsuit, file it, apply for back pay, just like you would if you were fired in your particular office. But the idea that the taxpayers are continuing to pay her and will while this matter drags out through the review process is insulting and it is beyond crazy. And to the extent that this is just business as usual, for example, in the city of Milwaukee, I think maybe people need to take a real hard look at this. And if this means tackling and making some changes in their civil service review process, well, maybe this is the case that demonstrates how important that is. Just saying. We do live in interesting times. Um, one of the results of, of the election is Tony Evers you know, will, will be the governor for the next four years. Republicans have overwhelming control of the state legislature, veto-proof majority in the state Senate, and almost a veto-proof majority in the Assembly. But the bottom line is, if anything is going to get done, we, we now have to realize that people have to, to work together. And it was interesting because over the last couple of days, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, um, he's he started, I think, making some inroads that I hope the Democratic governor, Tony Evers, will will think about. Um, you know, one of the things that Voss is talking about is he said, look, all right, we, we understand where people are on the issue of abortion. And we, we understand that there's this 1849 law that's out there. Voss is signaling, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to get together in the legislature and maybe let's make some changes to this law. At the very least, let's put in exceptions for, you know, rape and incest. That would be good. My suggestion would be, and I understand this is a tough political bullet for people on either side to buy, but I, I think whether it's 
whether you follow the Mississippi law of 14 weeks or the Texas law of 16 weeks or, you know, Roe allowed elective abortions effectively within 20 weeks, I, I think it's time to recognize that abortion is a very, very divisive issue. We saw how this played out in the election, and maybe the legislature can get together with the governor and say, look, we're, we're, we're not going to go along with, like, abortion on demand and partial birth abortion and stuff like this, but this is what we think is a reasonable alternative position, and, and you, Governor Evers, can decide if you're going to sign it into law or not, and you will then be the one, if we continue to have this chaos, you are going to be the one responsible for it. But that's got to come from the, the legislature. There's other examples of that as well. We have— a, a several, what, B is in billion dollar budget surplus. And we have to decide how that is going to be redistributed to people. One of the things that the governor wants to do is the governor wants to spend more money on public education. The Republicans, on the other hand, want to expand school choice. Well, maybe this is one of those things where people can compromise. And you can say, all right, look, Governor Evers, you want, you want more money to go to the public schools. Okay, that's fine. But as a condition of that, we want more. We want to expand school school choice. We want more money going to all the schools. So, if you want more funding for the public schools, if you think that's the answer, fine. We'll we'll go along with that. But in exchange, this is we what we want. We want expanded school choice. And I understand that for Governor Evers, that might cause him some heartache with like the teachers' union and stuff like that. But at the same time, that that's the type of compromise that maybe you need to do if you're going to get stuff done. Otherwise, you're you're just in a position of saying, all right, we're we're going to spin our wheels. One of the other issues that I think the state needs to look at, and I saw Evers on TV saying, you know, one of his principal priorities is going to be to to, to legalize marijuana in the state. Now, I always thought that that's that's kind of a bizarre thing. That this is I'm one of the reasons, one of the big things I want to do as governor is I want to make it easier for people to get high. Okay, well, I, I think that's a peculiar priority, but at the same time, I mean, I I read the polls, I understand where this issue is. I personally. If I were king, do not think it is a good idea to, you know, legalize pot. I, I don't. We've had this conversation over and over again, and I admit it, I come from this from my perspective as being a former drug prosecutor in another life and things like that. I think I, I think that some, several of the states that have legalized pot um, are, have some regrets. But nevertheless, I, I, I understand I see the referendum results. I see this how this is used as, as a wedge politically, and I recognize that the vast majority of people in Wisconsin, whether it's 60% or 65% or whatever, would like to see marijuana legalized and taxed. Again, I think that's poor public policy. But at the same time, I recognize, you know, where the people are on this particular issue. So... I, again, my comment to the Republicans in the legislature would be, all right, is, is this a battle that continues to be worth fighting every, you know, every two years in, in this election cycle, recognizing that this is where other states surrounding us are and recognizing you know, where the, the governor is and pushing this? This is one of his priorities. Maybe this is one of the things you can say, OK, look, we don't think this is necessarily good policy, but this is if this is what the people want, all right, let's do it. Let's tax it. Let's make sure we have the safeguards that are in place to deal with the people who show up at work high or are driving high or whatever that that might be. But I think there's some of these issues that we've been just fighting about 
for years and years and years, whether it's expanding school choice, whether it's more money to the schools, whether it's legalizing pot, and now because of the decision in Dobbs, you've got the abortion thing. I think, you know, it's important for the governor and the legislature to figure out, are there reasonable compromises that we can make? And that means for the Republicans, you know, some of the people, the the more the folks on the more extreme right, they've got to be willing to compromise. And for the governor, that means he, he might end up ticking off some of his far left supporters. But politics, and I can't say this enough, politics is the art of the possible. And in Wisconsin, because it might have been different if Tim Michaels had beaten Evers, but he didn't. It might have been different if Democrats had taken control of one or two houses of the assembly, but they didn't. So now when we talk about politics being the art of the possible, I think both sides need to figure out, okay, what can we do? How can we move past some of these divisive issues and and get some sort of um, resolution? What can we do on abortion that kind of represents where we think the vast majority of the people are in the state? What can we do on marijuana that represents where the vast majority of people in the state? What can we do with school funding that represents a reasonable compromise between the people that want more money to be put into the public schools and the people that think that the public schools are not the answer and they want expanded school choice? These compromises might be tough, but the bottom line is there's avenues for all this stuff and then you know we can get past these things that have been dividing us and then concentrate on other stuff that divides us. Again, just saying. Do you have a preference, bottles of cans or beer, bottles of beer or cans of beer? Uh, as long as it's cold, I don't really care. I'm more of a can. <laughs> that's, <a>, that's the <laughs> right answer, yeah. I'm more of a can guy because they stack easier and fit more conveniently in our limited fridge space. Yeah, well, that's I, – see, I, I, I am conflicted because I'm kind of old school. I like bottles of beer. Yeah, my parents I, are the exact I, same I, way. I, 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 like, I, I like bottles of beer. I think they taste a little better. Um, but I, and, and so like when I'm, when I'm in a bar, a lot of times, if I'm not having a tap beer, I'll, I'll ask for like a bottle of beer. So I, I I'm a bottle of beer guy, but I, I appreciate that. That is the trend in the industry. Cause you're exactly right. Cans keep longer and they're, they stack a lot easier. And so now that the, the procedures have kind of improved more and more, particularly these craft breweries are going to cans. So that's the wave of the future. And like I say, I'm, I'm not going to turn it down. I mean, if you say, do you want, hey, Jeff, you want a beer? I'm not going to say you're giving me a can of beer instead of a bottle. But I, I'm kind of a bottle guy. But it is the wave of the future. I'm a big bottle guy. If I'm at a bar, I'll order a bottle. But if I'm buying at home, I'm more of a cans. Because, yeah, it stacks a little bit easier. It keeps longer. It's just, it's just easier to store. Uh, but there is something nice about, like, on like a nice hot day, like a, a bottle, bottle in your beer. hand yeah, is just yeah, really nice to well, have. Well, also, yeah. I was at, I was telling the story the other day. It was um, on, on Sunday. We we went to a, a couple. Uh, my my two of my my friends Beth and Dave and Wes Ben said we want to take you to a couple of dive because they know I like dive bars and I, I don't yeah. and I always hate to say dive bars because some people think I'm being judgmental. I'm not. I love dive bars, but you know there's there there's it's it, it's character. So they took us to Fran and I. They took us to a couple. Uh, really dive bars. But there was like this one I went to and I, I ordered a beer. I said, I'll just have a light beer at Miller Lite. And she said, well, do you want, do you want the, do you want the tap or the bottle? And I was kind of looking around and I said, I think I should go with the bottle. Right. And she said, yeah, it was, it was like, I, I don't know how long that, that keg has been there. I, I, yes. Yes. Could you bring me the bottle and could you open it in front of me? Yeah, you know, exactly. The, that was the thing. But All right. I'm going to have to get the name of that place when we're off the air here. Oh, I don't even. Oh, the oh, I don't. I I said this on the air. Okay, so we went to two. We went to a place called the Rusty Spur, which was in New Fame, Wisconsin. 
I, I've lived here all my life. I've never heard of New Fame, Wisconsin, which is like a street. It, it's kind of outside of West Bend. And okay. so we, we went there, and I, you knew it was a good place because we walked in um, about 12.15. Packer game had just started, and the woman behind the counter says, if you're here for the broasted chicken, we're out. They, they, just, they had sold out of the broasted chicken by 12.15. So that tells me, you know, people want the, the broasted chicken. That bar... I, there were more people drinking bush, bush light than I've ever seen in my life. That was the, the the trash can was just filled with like bush light cans. Everybody was drinking bush light because I think it's cheap and you can drink it all day. Yeah, you the, can drink it all day. That's for sure. And then we went to a place called the Little Kohler House, H-A-U-S, in Little Kohler, Wisconsin. I can't tell you how we got there because I, I was <laughs> I, I was just it, – it's it's in Little Kohler, wherever that is. But you, you pull up and it's kind of – well – it's. I would say it's a shack, but that would be. Some people think I'm being judgmental, but it's like a, a gravel driveway, and you pull around the back, and there's all these cars up on blocks, and like airstream trailers that look like they're vacant, and you just pretty much dump your car wherever you want to dump your car. But you walk in, and there were people watching the Packers game, and the um, the the bartender. She teaches. Uh, she told me she's a science teacher at Oostburg High School. And next thing I know, I've got a magic marker out, and I'm writing my name on the ceiling tiles because that's apparently the thing you do when when you go when you go there. All right, you know what, Jeff? I I would not think Mike Spalding and Jeff Wagner would find themselves in similar bars very often, right? You're right up my alley. How have we not run into each other at any point at well, one of these small I, well, places? Well, okay, so well, actually what we need to do is hook up with my my friends Dave and Sister Pat and Beth because they, they know all these different like dive bars in Washington County and Fond du Lac County sure. and wherever the little Kohler house is. I still have no clue where that was, <laughs> and I don't think I could ever find it again. But no, these are these places that you go, huh, this is class, and everybody was great. I mean, you know, they all look at you, and you're like the, the strangers that are walking in, but, you know, you're, you're friends five minutes later. Have a cupcake. There's cupcakes up there and stuff like that. We had a great time. Yeah, we go, we call them beer-only bars sometimes. You yeah. just go in, you're not getting a cocktail, it's just like a good old... Right. And getting a beer, there's a, a little, uh, you know, the coaster and a bar stool, and that's all you need. Maybe right. a TV's on. Oh, well, well, well they had, these are packaged again. They had multiple TVs. Okay, here was the... Okay, here's the other thing about the little Kohler house. Okay, the, the bathrooms, well, I didn't go into the ladies' room, but I went into the men's room, and you wouldn't want to linger there. You know, sure. it's one of those type of places. <laughs> they wouldn't want to linger. You know, it's kind of like, do your business, get out, for a variety of reasons I won't go into. But they had a TV in there. Oh, that's they, convenient. They, they had a TV over the urinal. <laughs> that's customer service. They know what people are there for. I appreciate that little detail. That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. So you don't miss a play, you know, if you got to cut out in the middle of the third quarter. How did we get distracted like this? All right, when we come back, let's talk about the freeways. Stick around. <laughs> Number of people are recommending dive bars. That's great. I'm, I'm, I, I, I love it. And again, I, when I say dive bars, it's I don't. It is not. It is not judgmental. But you know, it, it's just I, I love these kind of places. And you find there's so many different places that qualify for that around Wisconsin. It's always just fun to go in there. And a couple of these places, you know, they have just like dynamite fish fries and stuff like that. They're just, and, and you just, you know, boy, I'd like to, if I could figure out where this is, I'd, I'd love to come up to this place and, you know, have the Friday night fish fry because you know, it's going to just be absolutely great. But unless you know somebody that's been there, you think, hey, I'm, I'm never going to be going, you know, in there. Jeff, uh, best dive bar, long gone, docks, old place on Squirrel Lake, dirt floor, cans of old style, <laughs> and RC Cola. They had an outhouse, a toilet seat, uh, or a hollowed out tree stump. Okay, that might be a bit more of a dive bar than I'm, I'm up to. But I, I guess I appreciate, the, I appreciate the, the thought. All right, let's get serious. Yeah, let's get a little bit serious. Here's the deal. 
the um, around southeastern Wisconsin, we have done, I think, a very good job of upgrading the freeway system. And for those of us who've lived here for a while, it seems like the freeways are constantly under construction. But there is a reason for that. We spent years and millions and millions and millions of dollars you know, dealing with the zoo interchange. And now the, the zoo interchange, if if you drive through it, it now, you go, okay, this is this is pretty cool. But for years and years, you drive through it and you go, man, I can't believe we've got exits on this side instead of the other side, and it's just kind of a mess. And they, they have really, I think, done a great job with the, the zoo interchange. Um, from Milwaukee County, the county line, down to the state line on um, I-94, I think they've done a very, very good job of expanding that. It, it, it took a long time and it took a lot of work, but we have expanded that. North of the city on I-43, there we're in the process of, of a construction project now. And if you drive north, and I live north of, of where I work, you know, you drive north and you go through this construction zone, and you, you can kind of see it sh- taking taking shape. And the, these areas where there were big bottlenecks over all the years, th- those are going to go away at, at some point in time. Now, it's you, know, you got to live through the construction process, and that's a pain in the you-know-what. But there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, I think, and, you know, whenever they're finished with it, whether it's next year or two years from now or whatever, it's going to be an expanded freeway system, and it's going to be easier to get through. The one bottleneck that remains, though, is I-94 West, essentially from downtown the Marquette Interchange, past Marquette, past um, AmFam Fields, it didn't say Miller Park there, past AmFam Field, past the State Fair, and then out to the redone, uh, the redone zoo interchange there. This, this is an area which essentially hasn't been worked on for years and years. And this is an issue where there is agreement. The Democratic governor of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, he is in favor of widening the freeway. The Republican legislature is in favor of widening the freeway. And this is the new report, and this is the breaking news from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Interstate 94 on Milwaukee's west side should be expanded. And again, we're talking about essentially 16th Street out to like 70th Street should be expanded from six lanes to eight lanes, according to a new study from the Wisconsin Department of Transportation, a conclusion that opponents hope will not obtain final federal approval. The $1.2 billion project would feature other changes. The Department of Transportation argues it's needed to reduce congestion and improve safety. It also provides a reliable link within the state's freeway system for trucks that haul freight throughout Wisconsin and other states. Because if you talk to truck drivers, they'll, they'll tell you right now it's just this problem. You know, whether you're coming down on 43 or you're, you're coming down from the west on like 41, 45, you, if you got a dovetail in, it's just a mess. Now, this is, it's 60 years old. The opponents say, well, we don't need additional lanes. And the idea is a lot of the opponents, there are people who hate cars. And they're saying, we don't need additional lanes because if you build more lanes and you make it easier and more convenient for trucks and cars to use them, that's what they'll do, which my argument would be, yeah, isn't, isn't that the, the idea? But you've got a lot of these, these folks who what they want to do is they want to try to force you out of, of cars. Now, I think 
that's wrong. I think what we need to do is recognize that people are going to be driving in cars for the longest period of time, and we need to make it easy for them to do that. And the fact of the matter is you built that stretch of the freeway system 60 years ago, and it needs to be expanded to deal with increased traffic, increased you know, truck usage, and to make it easier for people to get around. All right, let's open up the phone lines. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. The Department of Transportation now, this will go to the feds, but the fact that the Wisconsin Transportation has has blessed this and that they want to start this process in, in 2025, the fact that they have blessed this should give them added clout with the, the feds because the feds are going to need to sign off on this, and the feds are going to need to contribute a bunch of money to make this happen. All right, 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line. Is this the way to go? And by the way, they're also, as part of expanding the freeway, they're going to modernize the Hawley Road, the 35th Street, and the 25th, 27th Street interchanges. They're going to um, improve connections around the area, and they're going to deal with At least I think it's things that need to be done in order to keep the system, to modify the system for the next couple generations. All right, should we expand the freeway? Should we widen the freeway? Or do we just limp along with what we have? 855-616-1620, we discuss. One of our texters makes a point. I'll I'll read the text in just a minute. But I was thinking about that. I mean, these look, that freeway, the freeway right now, the the stretch of 94 between essentially 16th Street out past 70th Street, it's 60 years old. It's antiquated. It is poorly designed. For example, um, I go to to a lot of baseball games, so I go to American Family Field a lot. And I always park in the – I almost always park like in the preferred parking lot, which you access – from your, so you're heading 94 west. You get off. What is it? I don't know if it's Mitchell. Whatever. I forget what the street is. It's right the one before Hawley. So you get out and you go in there. When you come back to get on the freeway, you, you to go east, which is what I will be doing. That the you, you merge. You're getting on and you're merging from the right. You know, normally you get on the freeway and you're merging from the left. Like that's the common thing. So you're looking there. You're merging from the right. And in stadium traffic, it, it's really heavy. You take your life into your own hands. I cannot imagine how many collisions they have as people are trying to come up this like narrow on-ramp and you've got all these cars and you're trying to merge from the right. It's just it, – it's crazy. That's the way they did it years and years ago, but it doesn't make any sense. Here's the um, one of our texts. Jeff, I drive from downtown to New Berlin for work. The on-ramps from AmFam Field to merge onto West 94 are horrible. Those merging take their lives into their hands. The on-ramp is not long enough, and all of a sudden they're in the left lane. I thought about that again yesterday when I drove home. They need to change that for sure. I have no idea what the rate of accidents is in that area, but after a Brewers game or even yesterday when I drove home, there were people merging there. It's just not safe. Yeah, I don't... I don't disagree with that at all. I think that every time, again, it's 10 o'clock at night, you're leaving the ballpark, and you're you're merging, in this case, from the right, trying to look over at your passenger side, get into the lane of traffic that you're supposed to be in, which would be the left lane, which is where people are moving the fastest. It's just, this is the way they designed freeways 60 years ago. It's not the way anybody does this now. Jeff, I think we should consider expanding the freeway. Also wonder why a northern bypass has not been considered. Have to think about that. Um, Jeff, I almost fell over when I heard the news. 
Absolutely. Expansion is necessary to keep up with increased demands of cars and trucks. And again, one of the important things is it's not just cars, but but it's also trucks. You talk to truck drivers who have to figure out ways to you know navigate the the area. You know, you're going from uh, you're, you're coming from Illinois, and you've got to get over to – you're going to go up to um, Appleton or, or wherever. You, you've got to – or you, you want to go west. You know, you essentially right now, it, it's almost crazy to try to go through the Marquette interchange because you're going to be dealing with this bottleneck. We've improved the zoo interchange. We're improving I-43 north. We're improving um, 94 south. So we just have this one area where we're not going to modify. Um, no, no, no. Somebody says, Jeff, it's not the roads, it's the drivers. Look, there's bad drivers out there, but that's – the freeway system, these roads were built 60 years ago. Needs change over time. And you've got more people than ever that I think are using their cars. Jeff, I'm in agreement about widening the freeway, but I thought it was stalled because we could not figure out how to get around the VA cemeteries. No, there's, there's ways to get around the VA cemeteries. What's stalling this is you have some of these folks who hate cars. And, and they, the argument is, if we make it easier to drive around, more people will drive around. And do we want that? And then there's the flip argument that comes out, the flip side argument, which comes out and says, well, we shouldn't be money spending money on the freeway because that benefits white suburbanites. And what we should be doing is putting more money into mass transit for the inner city, which helps people of color. Well, I... I, I don't see these two as exclusive. If you come up with ideas for mass transit in the inner city that, that makes sense, something other than like the hop, okay, we, let's have that conversation. But that doesn't mean we don't expand the freeway at the same time. So this is, and the reason I wanted to segue into this, it's, it's the previous conversation we were having. Scott Walker wanted to do this when he was the governor, but candidly, he got worn down by the battle. You know, they were they were— the the I ninety four expansion to the state line and the zoo interchange there were such fights about that that he wanted to finish those projects and then move on to this next one because inevitably once the, the feds approve this there's going to be lawsuits and things like that because the opponents are going to try to stall this and, and Walker and I get it I I understand Walker just said look this is not the battle I want to fight right now I want to get the zoo interchange fixed. Uh, and finished. I want to get the I-94 expansion to the state line. I want to get that finished. And then, you know, we'll we'll live to fight another day when it comes to this remaining I-94 expansion. And I understand why he did that. But but now it's a new day. We've got those other things that are done. Tony Evers is on board with this, to his credit. I think the Republicans in the legislature are on board with this, to their credit. The State Department of Transportation says it's the way to go. I say— full speed ahead, and let's get this thing started by 2025 so it can be finished in all of our lifetimes. All right, a lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Please do not go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know Mike Spaulding? Occasionally, there's there's a phrase where people say, "I hate to say I told you so," but I, I never have problems with that. I mean, that's I, I, if, if I tell you this, I, I have no problems reminding me that I told you this. Now, will you remember back to like last year's Super Bowl and the the ads that were on the Super mm-hmm. Bowl? It seems to me that I would say almost every third ad 
was an ad for cryptocurrency. And it was it was a preachy ad for cryptocurrency. It was whether it was Matt Damon or the one with Larry David or some of these other, they were very, very preachy. They were anybody out there that doesn't believe and doesn't understand that cryptocurrency is the future. You are just a, a hopeless dinosaur who thinks the world is flat, who doesn't believe in wheels. Remember all those ads? Oh, yeah, absolutely I do. Right. And again, it, I mean, I, I came on the air afterwards and I said, look, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, anything that I don't understand and you can't explain it to me in about like three sentences as to where this is, you, it, I'm not investing in it. And and if that means that somebody else makes a fortune doing this, but cryptocurrency to me always sounded like a giant Ponzi scheme. You know, you have to, that, that sooner or later, unless you continue to get people that were investing, maybe the people that got in at the ground floor, maybe they were going to make some money, but I, I just, I, I just, I never understood it. And I never thought it was going to go anywhere, and I didn't see the need for it. And, of course, it didn't make anything. It was just this, this sort of alternate thing. Well, crypto meltdown, exchange goes bust. A company that had a valuation of $32 billion a couple days ago is now gone, and um, all the investors just out of luck. How we keep getting into this situation where we're overvaluing this and people are willing to throw money at something. It's not just the crypto world, but if you, you know, the WeWorks and stuff like that, how we keep just cyclically getting into this situation where we're putting all this money into something that really is just a house of cards, I will never understand. And yeah, I think of if I'm investing in something, if you can't explain it to me by the time our elevator goes from the ground floor to the third floor, I'm probably out. Well, you know, it, it's, I had, I mean, I've told this story before. I had, I have, friends over the years who have invited me in on different, you know, here, we've got, we got this plan, you know, we're looking for mm-hmm. you to invest whatever the, the amount of dollars are. And I, I've just, I, it's never made any sense to me. And with one possible exception, I, I've never had any regrets, but it's so funny because there, there's a psychological thing. So I have some friends who have invested in these various things and keep investing in it because one of their other buddies invests in it. And then they're afraid, hey, if this takes off, he's going to have a million dollars and I don't want to yes. be left out. So <laughs> yeah, you're just like course. throwing all this money at these things. I'm going, mm, you know, I, oh, okay, maybe this is just my philosophy, but I understand stocks and I understand bonds and I understand mutual funds and stuff like that. And, and, Again, maybe some of the people that got in on this, and I'm sure people will text me, oh, you just don't understand any of this. But it's it's been, even with the route that's going on in the stock market, that what's going on in the crypto market is just people are losing just enormous amounts of money, and I don't see how it comes back. Well, and there's just not enough people in there to stabilize anything. When you, you, know, you hear that piece from ABC News about there were panicked investors, all it takes is a handful of huge investors to, to bail out of something and the whole thing's going to go upside down, which is exactly what we saw. And that's what always made me nervous was there's not enough people. And some of the people that, you know, they have outsized weight, their investments hold outsized weight in this because if they decide to pull out their $2 million or whatever they invested, well, what's going to be left from people who invested, you know, a hundred bucks right. or 200 bucks. Right. So I, this was the least surprising news of the week. Well, for me. it was, but I just, I always remember the, these ads, and, and again, it, it was the preachy nature of the ads, that if you if you don't recognize that this is the thing, you know, and, and Matt Damon and Larry David and all these different ads, it was the kind of the preachy nature of that, thinking, oh, all right, if you decide that you don't want to invest your money, you just, you're just too stupid to know what's going on. Well, I wonder how Larry David and Matt Damon feel today about that. Yeah. I wonder if they took their money, wonder if they took their fees in crypto. Yeah. You would hope that if they did, they took it out early. I think that's what you're paying those guys for. So get me out before the whole thing goes kaput.
Yeah, well, I hope they wrote it to the bottom. <laughs> if they induced other people, and I, and I guess that is the true thing. If you're making an investment be, because Matt Damon tells you to do yeah, it, yes, <clears throat> you you know you you perhaps what do they say about a fool and his or her money? Exactly. That's it. All right. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's. I just, I, again, and I understand, I'm going to get texts from people saying that I, this, this, it's going to make this comeback and that everybody who, you know, everybody who's just, I don't know, investing in stocks and bonds and real estate and things like that, that we're just, we're just the dinosaurs and we're going to regret this. And that's okay. I, that, that's, that's okay. All right. Let us switch gears. I want to revisit something because it's, it's as a result of the election, it's becoming more and more of a possibility. Joe Biden's it was it was weird to watch Joe Biden take a victory lap after the results on Tuesday because I, I think it is fair to say that Republicans underperformed expectations and, and that you didn't see the the red tsunami. But it wasn't a good night for Democrats. Republicans are taking control of the House of Representatives. Um, Republicans may pick up the Senate. We we still don't know that. And it's not like, oh, you had Democrats picking up seats or anything like that. You know, plus, you know, a lot of these contested states, whether it was Ohio or whether it was Florida or or Georgia, you had this new batch of Republican stars that were emerging. So it was kind of weird to me to see, like, Biden, oh, that we, we didn't lose as much as we thought. Well, that's not the same as winning. But anyhow, the story in The Washington Post is that Biden feels emboldened by the fact that it wasn't as much of a wipeout as people predicted. And the story in the Washington Post says this, in Biden's mind, is easing his mind and his quote-unquote path to a re-election run. And at least now some of the smart money is saying that after the first of the year, after the holidays, he may very well announce that he is going to run for re-election, you know, 42 percent approval rating notwithstanding. Why don't We'll have plenty of time to talk about that, but there is this larger issue that I want to revisit, and this is the headline in the Washington Post. Biden, turning 80, faces renewed age questions as he weighs re-election. As America's oldest president heads towards a possible re-election run, aides try to demonstrate his vigor. All right, here's the deal. The oldest former president was uh, Ronald Reagan. He left office when he was 77 years old, and I think even those of us who are huge Reagan fans who believe, I mean, I believe Ronald Reagan was the greatest president in my lifetime, would agree that he was slowing down at, at the age of, of 77. Joe Biden was 78 when he was elected. He's 80 now. If he is reelected, he would be 82. 82 if he is reelected. If he were to serve his entire term, he would be 86 years old. And lest you think I'm being partisan about this, Donald Trump, when he was elected in 2016, was a 70. He was 74 when he left office. If he were to run, give me strength, if he were to run again and be elected, he would be 78 when he was reelected. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Look, I I, want to just take politics out of this for a second. Forget whether it's Biden or Trump. Forget whether it's Republican, Democrat. Forget that. At some point in time, don't we need to start electing younger people? I mean, you might think that Joe Biden is the greatest president in the world, but can't you find like a Joe Biden that's 20 years younger? 
You might think that Donald Trump was the greatest president in the world. Can't you find a, a Donald Trump that's, that's 20 years younger, a Ron DeSantis or something like that? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. We have minimum ages. You can't be president unless you're 35. I have said this before. I firmly believe it when it comes to presidents. I, I, I don't know. You'd have to change the Constitution to do it, or the voters could make the decision. But it's time to stop, in my opinion, reelecting these really, really old people. And no offense to people who are in their upper 70s or their 80s. I am closer to that than I am to 35. But the reality is your skills deteriorate as you get older. That's just the fact. No matter how sharp you are, you are not as sharp at 80 as you were at 60. And I think this ego, this desire that I can't, I can't leave the stage— what does Joe Biden need to run for re-election? He's, he's done pretty much all there is to do. And doesn't this country deserve more than having some 82-year-old man or, or, or a 78-year-old guy if, if it's Trump? I think that's just flat too old. And if these, if these politicians, because their egos can't allow them to walk away, well, maybe the voters need to say, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this. We need more vibrancy. We need more youth. Period. 855-616-1620. And I don't mean to offend people who are in their 80s who are listening to this program, but the reality is if you are honest with yourself, look, at, at, my, at my age, okay, I have more aches and pains than I did 20 years ago. That's just the reality. Friends of mine, they don't hear as well as they did 20 years ago. It's just what happens when you get older and that this idea of trying to cover up for Biden and pretend that he's vibrant and with it when he's clearly not. And it's not, It's look, he might be doing great for an 80-year-old guy, but I don't want an 86-year-old president of the United States with his finger on the button. And I don't want an 80-year-old guy, you know, if you want to use the Trump example. I want younger people. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Look, this isn't politics. It, it really isn't. But when I hear Joe Biden, he's emboldened. He wants to run again. He'll be 82 years old, for God's sake. I mean, at some point in time, don't we need to say that's just flat out too old? Trump, he'll be 78. At some point in time, don't we need to say, for God's sake, that's just too old. Uh, all right, let's let's find that younger version of Biden. Let's find the younger version of Trump or, or whatever. But it's the, these people who are way past their sell-by date who can't leave the spotlight. And look, and I say that as somebody who's closer to 80 than I am to 30. They're 855-616-1620. Jeff, I feel we should have an age limit. I work with elderly patients on a daily basis, and many of them don't think they are slowing down mentally and physically, but they are. Younger blood would be a welcome change at the, the White House. No, absolutely. Jeff, we need to elect younger people. Being president of the United States needs a person who has vigor, clear thought, and lots of stamina. We all, and you know, that's, you, you see Biden in public, and again, I don't mean this to be a pick on Biden thing, but you see him in public, vigor, clear thought, lots of stamina. No, we all know that as we age, we slow down. I'm in my 60s, and even though I'm still quite active, I'm not as spry as I used to be. That's just the way it is. Um, Yeah, I think that's just the way it is. Jeff, it scares the you-know-what out of me to have Biden meeting with the leader of China next week. Jeff, we need younger people. Um, But then I snap back to reality and have to live in the real world. You know, and then he goes on to talk about Trump being, I, I, I think Trump's too old. I think Biden's too old without even getting into the politics. Let's start with Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're first. Hello. 
Hello, Jeff. I like your show very Thank much. You, Thank you. Uh, I think the cutoff should be should be 75. In other words, if you're elected at 71, you've got four years, you're done. No more over 75. That would be it. Why? Tell me why. Why? Because I think uh, at 75, you're still pretty good yet. But as you, like you're talking, as you get older, you're, you're starting to lose it. And I think uh, it's showing what, what we got yeah. right now. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for calling. I guess, I, I mean, I, I don't, let's use 75. I think what I would say is that I would say nobody can run for office, you know, after they are 75, for president, after they're 75 years old. So if you're 74 and you get elected, you, you serve out your term, but then you, you can't run for reelection. I, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's not the magic age. One of our texters says, Jeff, I agree, a younger president has far more benefits than risks. In the private sector, most Fortune 500 companies and above have limits on chief executive officers, like 65, mandatory, you are out. If you look at many... Of the big law firms across the, the country, it's exactly the same thing. It's like, okay, at 65, there, if not, there's a mandatory, if not a mandatory retirement age, it's at 65, you, you have to go on to like senior counsel, and then there's, there's, they have a way, and then by 70, you're essentially retired. That, that's the idea. There, there's a couple different reasons for that. First of all, they want to make sure skills don't atrophy, but secondly, they, they want to clear the decks for that, that younger generation that's coming up. And again, I don't know what the magic age is. Is it 70? Is it 72? Is it 75? But... Okay, if Joe Biden were somehow to be reelected, and I don't think he will be, he'd be 86 years old. I mean, he'd be six years older than he is now. Can, can, you, can you imagine? And again, I don't mean to pick on Biden, except he's the one that's talking about running for reelection. Matt in Brookfield. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, longtime listener, first-time caller. Oh, good. Uh, Thanks. Totally uh, agree with you 100 um, percent. But I think we're also missing another part of it. Not only uh, well, a little context. I work in senior living, so I work with seniors every single day. Um, the politicians are already out of touch being in their ivory towers, you know, but then when you add the age to it, mm-hmm. that really compounds how much out of touch they are. Yeah. Um, I'm 32 years old, you know. It's been half a century since Biden was my age. And, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you don't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. when you don't have uh, that type of perspective of what, you know, younger working professionals, their day-to-day lives, uh, you, it's hard to serve your constituents. Uh, it, it is. No, thanks for call, Matt. I, I, yeah, I mean, and it's, I just think, see, none of, we, we all think, that we're going to age like fine wine. And the, the truth is, we, we just don't. And um, I, I think you, you need a certain vibrancy. Now, look, I, I appreciate that there is a value that comes with experience, and, and I'm not discounting that. But I also, I mean, I see, I wonder what also motivates people. And I, I mean, we, we know, we, for example, we know Donald Trump, huge narcissist, right? I mean, it's, it's all about Trump. It's all about Trump. But what does that say about somebody like Biden, who has accomplished a lot? He's been a senator. He's been the vice president. He's now, you know, and he's now become the president of the United States. What does it say about Joe Biden that the age of 82, if he were to be reelected, that, that he, he can't walk away at the age of 80, that he feels he is so important or it's all about him? What does it say about 
about him and his ego and his narcissism, that, that he can't, you know, walk away and enjoy however much time the good Lord decides to give him, you know, doing, you know, other things. What does it say about this? And, you know, I, I make the same argument about senators. I mean, Dianne Feinstein, who is already, I mean, who knows if she's going to run again, but she's going to be in her 90s. She's showing signs. Chuck Grassley from Iowa just got reelected to an ex- another six-year term, and what, he's 88? I mean, it's at some point in time, don't you have to clear the decks? And, well, and again, I don't want to make this a partisan sort of thing. I cringe at the idea that Joe Biden thinks that he should run for president again. I don't think there's any way he gets reelected, with the possible exception if the Republicans are dumb enough to dominate Donald Trump, which I don't think Republicans are going to be. You know, so, yeah, if, if you have a rematch of Trump-Biden, you know, may, maybe Biden ends up winning. But other than that— and and he shouldn't. At some point in time, you need to know when it is time to, to move on and leave the stage. And I think you need a certain vibrancy if you're going to be the leader of the free world. And 78, 80, 82, 84, 86, that's, that's past their prime, period. And if they don't see it and you can't get a constitutional amendment passed, Maybe it's just time for the voters to stand up, and maybe it's time for people close to Joe to say, Joe, you've had a great career. You're 80 years old. It, it's it's time. It's time. Just ride off into the sunset. Be that be that paternal figure. Be, you know, the, the leader of the party. You know, give sort of advice. You know, be that sage person that's there. But come on. You're going to run for re-election at 82? Two final tweets. Jeff, I'm 80, and everyone tells me they don't believe it because I'm so sharp. No way and you know where should anyone be in office after 72 or 73. And then, Jeff, the fact that these old you-know-whats don't want to have a retired life at their age just proves how big their freaking egos are. I agree with both of those. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. All right, let's finish what has been a very strong week on the radio show in a strong fashion. It's Pop Culture Corner time, brought to you by our friends at Palermo's Pizza, which, who, by the way... We're just recognized uh, with the Great Place to Work certification. Um, that's that's really pretty cool. Um, and it, it comes from employees talking about what a great place it is to work. And as I was mentioning earlier, I had one of their new stuffed crust pizzas this week. It's tremendous. So Pop Culture Corner Time brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. What better way to celebrate? With Palermo's, delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. Um, We appreciate their sponsorship. One caller, has to be a caller, not a texter, one caller during the next segment in the exclusive discretion of my producer, Charlie, will win our Palermo's pizza prize package. Try saying that three times fast. Um, Coupon's good for two Palermo's pizzas. And this really cool Palermo's pizza cutter that I'm trying to figure out how a way to score one myself, but haven't been able to do it, and all sorts of other stuff that come with that. So one of our callers wins the Palermo's pizza prize package. So, Jeff, what about Pop Culture Corner today? Well, as I've been mentioning, um, I'm off next week. Just um, I haven't... I just I haven't taken vacation in a long time. The last the last time I was off the air was um, I think when we were doing our listener trip uh, to Alaska a few months ago. So I'm I'm taking a week off, and it's it's nothing other than I'm taking the week off because I have some accumulated vacation. But I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this. It's going to be just some downtime and things like that. But one of the things I am intending to do 
since I don't have to worry too much about current events and preparing for the show on a daily basis, is I intend to engage in a little bit of binge television watching. Now, that, that's kind of one of the deals I'm, I'm planning to hunker down with, depending on the time of day, a cup of coffee or one of my favorite adult beverages, and I'll read a book, and then kind of I'm going to do some binge TV watching. Now, one of the things I intend to watch is on Netflix, the season five of The Crown. That's that's just dropped, and I've watched—there's 10 episodes. I've watched one of them. I, I've watched the preceding four years of The Crown. Some years I've liked better than others, but I, I'm going to watch it. So that's one. But I'm actually sitting here thinking, okay, what's, what, is the next, what is the next show that I am going to binge on? And I thought I would invite you to give me a little bit of advice, because the fact that I've already seen something doesn't mean that I might not watch it again. My question—and this is our pop culture corner topic for this week— Give me a little bit of advice. What do you think is the most binge-worthy TV show out there? And if you had some time on a vacation week, you know, what, what would you devote to seeing? And it could be, it could be an over-the-air show. It could be something like, oh, we're going to go watch, back and watch all the episodes of Friends. It could be something that appears on, you know, exclusively on the streaming services. It could be, I don't know, something on HBO, uh, like The Sopranos, The Wire, something like that, whatever. What do you think, what do you think, if you were like me and you had some time next week and you were going to spend at least some of that time Binge watching a TV show, what would be that show? 855 616 1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Give Charlie a chance to line up the calls. We will be back with your calls and texts in just a moment. 855 616 1620. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. And Pop Culture Corner is, of course, presented by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. All right, I'm off next week. This regular vacation. I always have to say that because when you're gone for a couple of days, people say, is he sick? Or no, I'm just, it's just accumulated vacation time. So Fran and I are just going to kind of kick back. All right. But one of the things I'm going to be doing is I've got some time. I'm going to be binge watching some TV. Do want to watch the new season of The Crown. But all right, give me some advice. What do you what do you think is the most binge worthy TV show that's out there? Let's start with Ann in Delafield. Hi, Ann. You're in WTMJ. Yes. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good. I would highly, highly recommend Peaky Blinders. Mm-hmm. My daughter had been telling me, gosh, for the last year or two, you've got to watch this series. And we ended up binge watching it, yep. finishing it up about three months ago. Right. It's incredible. Killian Murphy, the lead actor, is amazing. And I, we found every, almost every single episode was like a mini movie. Just the intensity... Uh, everything about it, the acting, the cinematography, the story, it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's set, so I highly I, recommend it. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I, I, I have seen that. It's it's set in, it's like pre-World War or just immediately post-World War One, I, I think, and it's set Peaky Blinders. It's, it's kind of this organized crime gang, and it follows a, it follows a family. It's, it is, you're right, it's very well done. Uh, one of the stars was a woman named Helen McCrory who passed away. She's very, very famous English actress. She passed away at the age of 53 a couple of years, a year and a half ago. So she wasn't in this last show. But yeah, Peaky Blinders, I've seen it. And it's it's a little intense and it's a little bit violent. But I agree with you. It is very well done. Denise uh, in East Troy. Hi, Denise. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay. what? Uh, all right. I got some time. What do I want to be watching? Yellowstone. Okay. You know... 
I, I've heard a lot about that. I, I have to tell you, I have never seen an episode. That's with Kevin Costner, right? Yes, and he is. I love him as an actor anyway, but the the scenery is out of this world. Okay. It's just beautiful with the you know buffaloes and the bison and just the, the landscaping, everything where they film it. I saw one episode and I could not stop. And I've not had a chance to see the rest of them because I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so that's the pro- it, yeah. I love the drama. I love, you know, but I love Kevin Costner. He is, he's an amazing actor and it's just set up beautifully. Okay. I, I, where they filmed it. No, thanks. I, I know. Matter of fact, uh, our, our text line, as it always does during the segment, just absolutely explodes. And, and a number of people are saying Yellowstone. I've just, I haven't seen it, but um, maybe that's going to be one that I want to jump on. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Ryan in Janesville. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Binge-worthy uh, TV. that's incredibly hypnotic is, uh, is Gold Rush. <laughs> I love Gold Rush. <laughs> I, I, I love Gold Rush. If nothing else, it makes me, whenever I have a day that I, I kind of feel bad about my, I'm thinking, at least I'm not up, you know, in, in March in Alaska trying to, you know, deal with all these machines and stuff that break down. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It features one of our local celebrities right. in Rick Ness, and it's right. just uh, watching guys dig thousands of yards of dirt for a couple of dust-sized specks of gold and yeah. something yep. uh, kind of hypnotic about it. I, see, Ryan, I, thanks for, I agree with you completely. This is one where my wife will walk in because I, I watch it regularly. It's on Friday nights, and I, you know, I tape it, so I'm not, you know, we're out a lot of times on Friday nights. And she will walk in, and she'll say, "You're watching this again, and it's isn't it the same thing?" Well, it it kind of is because you know you have these guys, and some are really good at it, and some aren't very good at it, and the machines keep breaking down. And I like the word you used, Ryan, hypnotic. I can't exactly explain it, but there's something kind of hypnotic about this, going, oh, so that's what happens when a bulldozer breaks down, and that's how they get the track back on. Or, or I watch how hard these guys work, and I'm thinking, huh, I wonder how much they really I wonder how much they really net out of this. You just wonder if they just had a regular day job, would they do better? Let's talk to um, Steve in uh, Genesee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hello, Jeff. Hi, Steve. Uh, enjoy your time in Florida next week. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to play some golf, too. Uh, good man, good man. Uh, so I really got into uh, a series uh, called The Terminalist, and uh, it's it's based on a book books by a, a Navy SEAL named Jack Carr, and it's about a, a Navy SEAL, and the Navy SEAL is uh, played by Chris Pratt. Okay, sure. So I think there's eight or nine. Pardon? No, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I know Chris Pratt, sure. Yeah, and uh, and so Chris Pratt, plays a Navy SEAL that uh, went on a mission and it was a total failure and all of his uh, Navy SEALs with him got killed. And then when he got back into the States, uh, he found out that it was actually uh, a plot within the U.S. government. Uh, okay, don't to tell me too much. Kill all don't, the Navy SEALs. don't tell me too much. Okay, so this is, I, I was just looking up because I, I have not heard of this, but this it's only been around one year. The first season, it's on Amazon Prime. It's on yes. Prime, right? And it just dropped. Yes. So you highly recommend yes. it, huh? Okay. Oh, and it, 
a lot of lot of great action, a lot of great action. Okay, and it's only like eight episodes, so it's one. It's not like see some of them are kind of daunting because there'll be like five or six seasons. But this is you, I could catch up in the beginning. Okay, and that is a good suggestion, yeah. Steve. And because it's such a great suggestion, my producer Charlie says you are the winner of our Palermo's Pizza Prize Package for the week. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You betcha. No, thanks for the call. Thanks for the idea. And enjoy a couple pizzas on us. Let's talk to David. David and Racine, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, well, I'm going to go old school. I mean, uh, no school the like Twilight the old school. Zone. Rod Serling. Okay. I mean, classic writing. Uh, uh, plots that, even though, you know, my, from the 50s and early 60s, there's are still prescient even today, you yep. know, that you can, you know, because they're, you know, basically morality plays. So, what, what's your favorite, what's your favorite, themes. what's your favorite Twilight Zone episode? Uh, the Pitch Man with Ed Wynn. Oh, wait, that is old school, right? The old, right, where he's making the pitch. Got it. No, thanks for calling. I remember that. Mine would be, I think they call it the Screaming Man. They don't show it a lot, but the story is that... The, the devil has been trapped in this room, and he talks himself out of it, and Guy releases him and then spends the rest of his life trying to trap him again. All right, let, let's, um, boy, we had so many texts here. I don't want to do them a uh, disservice. Shameless? Yeah, I used to, I, 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 I got tired of Shameless after a few years, but the first few years, I, I really loved it. Jeff, if you got Apple TV, check out Bad Sisters. number of people are saying Yellowstone. So I, that might be on the... Um, that might be on the list um, right now. Jeff, for a quick 20-minute episode, we started watching Trailer Park Boys, totally brain-dead, but really funny. It's a comedy on Netflix. Well, sometimes you're kind of in the position of that. Um, Jeff, I gotta love MASH. The series is longer than the Korean War that was based on, but yeah, MASH has a, a lot of great shows as well. Um, let's see, Jeff Fargo. I went back, you know, you're talking about the TV show, Fargo, and they're, they're coming out with another version of that. I think there's sometime they've got another one in, in the works. But yeah, I went back and I binge-watched all, I think I want to say four or five years of Fargo, the TV show, and that was that was very good. The first, it's, it's like a lot of these things, it's like The Sopranos. I love The Sopranos, but I think... I think they repeat themselves. And I think, you know, the first couple years aren't as good as the last couple years because they kind of run out of ideas. But The Sopranos would be one. A Justified, which was just a, a great five-year series that ran on FX. I, I love Justified. A number of people are suggesting that. One of the ones that I might go back and take another look at is The Wire, which is one of the, you know, what, which is one of the, the really first shows like that. And I, I remember when I watched The Wire, especially that, that's what I used to do in another life. I used to run wiretaps and things like that. And I was amazed at how, at how um, realistic it really was that they had there. Jeff, Vikings. You know, I, 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 I never watched any of that, but I know what it's on. And there's a new show called Ring of Power out there. Okay, I got to check that out as well. Jeff, I just finished watching the Bosch series and now plan on watching a newer series, Bosch Legacy. Yeah, that's um, the same guy that wrote, his name, Mike Connolly, who wrote the Lincoln Lawyer books. He's He also writes the Bosch books, and I've read a couple of them. I haven't seen the show. Jeff, uh, let's see, uh, Gunsmoke? Well, that's really kind of old school if we're going there. Blue Bloods, that's from Dick and Shawno. He says that. Um, hmm, let's see. A number of people are saying blue buds, bloods, Veep or Yellowstone, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, I watched Sons of Anarchy when it was first on. My problem with that is it's 
it's just, I mean, it's based on this, this motorcycle gang that runs drugs and sells guns. And it was tough to, tough to find anybody that you could possibly relate to. Jeff, Band of Brothers, I've watched it several times, especially around Veterans Day. That's, that, you never get tired of watching Band of Brothers. That's absolutely outstanding. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see, uh, Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. You know, I watched the first season of Game of Thrones and haven't watched any of it since then because if I'm, I, I'd like to read the books. I've read the first Game of Thrones book. I haven't gotten around to reading any of the other ones. And I guess if it's been this long, I'm probably not going to get around to them. So maybe I should break down and watch Game of Thrones. Okay, I am out of time. Thanks for participating in Pop Culture Corner this week. We will do it again in two weeks because I'm off next week. Thanks to our friends with Palermo's Pizza and thanks to all the participants.